I just said that story because I wanted to let my grandfather go. Welcome to the Telling It Our Way podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Becca. In this podcast, we bring you stories by disabled people about disabled people. Stories from the daily lives of self-advocates with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These are real people with real lives, complicated lives. They don't want your pity and they don't exist to inspire you. Yeah, this is not inspiration porn. So, Becca, today we're talking about grief. Yeah, cheery topic today. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about grief because it is one of those universal experiences. Everyone everywhere has lost someone or something. And there are lots of kinds of grief, but today the two stories that we're featuring are are focusing on on death. So that's just a warning for all of you listening today. Both of these stories feature the loss of a loved one. And like I said, grief is universal, but it is not a topic that people with intellectual disabilities get included in very often because of that eternal child myth, this kind of overprotection and paternalism. You don't want to talk about death around someone because you're not sure how they're going to react. And so all of that kind of stuff leads to people with intellectual disabilities not having a lot of options to talk about grief. And I think, too, when, you know, folks started theorizing about the psychology of grief, and we have Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talking about the seven stages of grief. Those are based on really normative Western cultural assumptions. And it's put out as if uh, grief and recovering from the loss of somebody is a super linear thing. So first you're going to feel mad and angry, and then you're going to feel, you know, frustrated. I actually don't know all the um, <laughs> steps think, in order. I think mad and frustrated are kind yeah, of the same. Yeah, mad and frustrated. And, and, you know, that's not actually how people experience grief. It's not a linear thing. It's not, there's not a time period that can be expected mm-hmm. for how somebody would be affected by it. It doesn't matter how close or distant someone is. It can, something can affect someone very personally that you might think, but they didn't know that person very well. They only had mm-hmm. coffee with them one time. Why are they so sad? Well, right. And, and because we have this kind of normative standard about how you're supposed to experience grief, if your grieving falls outside of that pattern, then you're scrutinized. And and people with intellectual disabilities are already scrutinized all the time for doing things that are different from how non-disabled people do them. Yeah. And I think there is this other kind of ableism that that might be even a bit darker, which is this idea that for some folks with intellectual disabilities, the expectation is that they won't live very long, right? Because they have complicated physiological experiences as well, such as, you know, for example, folks with Down syndrome in 1983, the year I was born, weren't expected to live past 30. That's changed a lot, right? So there is this idea that like, well, you shouldn't expect somebody with an intellectual disability to live the life of an able-bodied person, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's on you that you had that expectation in the first place. I remember um, when I was 13, I lost my cousin, and he was 13 as well when he passed away, and he had an intellectual disability. And it was hard to really get a, a chance to grieve because there was this overlying narrative of, well, things are better off for him now. Mm. Things were getting really complicated with his care. Things are better now. And I don't think that was malicious on the intent of my family. I think that's actually a larger cultural narrative that we have. So what we wanted to do today really was to just create some space for 
people to share some stories about grief. The story that we're about to hear is really relatable. Taylor is talking about the loss of his grandpa, and I think grandparents are some of the first losses many of us feel and have, and I think folks are going to really be able to feel what Taylor experienced as he talks about his relationship with his grandfather. My story is about my grandfather. We were we were at my aunt's house eating and and having fun. We played 31. My my grandfather kept losing. It was so much fun. And that that's a good memory I have for him. He he was my grandfather. He loved he loved us with all of his heart and he was so kind. He passed away this year. I was shocked. My whole family was close to him. My family was all close to him and we were raised we were raised with him and my grandma. We were very close to him. And he was good. He was good. I was really emotional when when he died. My girlfriend and her family, my girlfriend and her family, my girlfriend and her family supported me. And my family supported me too. My theater friends, my theater friends and my girlfriend helped me feel happy. My grandfather was really good to me. He is in my heart and I am in his heart. I have been talking to him every single every to him every single night. He was the only person I want to talk to and he always will be with me forever. When I see the big shiny moon, that's my grandfather and he always be inside of my heart. Thank you to Taylor for sharing that story. And something that Taylor shared with us is that the process of telling that story to an audience is something that was really therapeutic for him. He was saying, you know, I'm going to, you know, this is how I let go of my grandfather by sharing this story with people. So I I just want to talk a little bit because I am who I am fundamentally. I did a little bit of research about this this topic. And, you know, in the last couple of decades specifically, there has been a ton of research on the topic of grief and people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And what's been found is that people with intellectual disabilities get left out of a lot of the processes of either preparing for death or grieving. So, for example, people with IDD have been excluded from their own advanced care planning, from making end-of-life decisions. They've been left out of funerals or not told when friends or family members died. They've not been told about their own dying. And, And the consequences of not talking about death means that some people with intellectual disabilities have some really complicated grief because they don't have the language or the support to work through grieving. And I think sometimes when we talk about grief as a culture, we we talk in metaphors, which can be really hard for folks who are um, neurodivergent to to use, right? So sometimes we just don't even use a language that's accessible when we're talking about grief. And we 
if depending on sort of the community that you live in, if you're too straightforward about grief, it's it's sort of seen as as rude. And sometimes that's what we we need to be in order to be accessible and to provide that space for folks to talk about their experience. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point is that, you know, we need to be equipped with the language to understand our own grief and other people's grief. And, And that's something, you know, particularly in American culture, but I think in Western culture more broadly, that's just not something that we do. You know, I was just thinking that it's hard when you're talking about grief not to talk about spirituality in some way. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is an, I do think that we overlook the fact that people with intellectual disabilities can be spiritual people, mm-hmm. right? And they can have religious understandings and deep spiritual experiences, and we don't provide room for that. And I think that that's probably another show, maybe season two. <laughs> um, if you're someone out there who wants to share your story of spirituality, we would love to hear it. So like I said, there's some really cool research happening in this space right now. So I wrote down just a couple of names in case anybody wanted to look things up. So Roger Stancliffe at the University of Minnesota's Institute on Community Integration, Stuart Todd, who's at the University of South Wales, and Rachel Forrester-Jones, who's at the University of Bath, and who also, full disclosure, was my advisor for my master's program. Uh, Shout out to Rachel. Uh, And so if you wanted to look up any of that additional research, there's some really interesting stuff happening in this space. And I love that that researchers are spanning across continents in terms of thinking about this. So it'll be really exciting to see what how this research will expand into other places as as um, more people take it up. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear about our next story. So we have a young woman, Sophie, and she's talking about a high school friend that she lost. And I I know that there across time there have always been the experience of a young person lost in their peer community. But it seems like it happens more frequently in the last 20 years. And maybe that's because of the rise of gun violence and the rise of violence in schools. And Sophie's experience isn't quite that. She is going to be talking about losing a friend in a car accident. But it does make you think about, well, whenever they say, oh, we have all of these resources available to help you grieve here at school, just come to the guidance counselor. It makes you think, well, are those resources safe for everybody? Are they going to understand neurodiversity and and how people might express their grief? Mm -hmm. So I think Sophie brings a really interesting story to the table. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. I met a friend and his name was Al. We met in high school, sophomore year. We were doing the production of Hairspray. After the show, our friendship was really strong. We had two classes together. We acted in theater class. That class of 2022, theater senior sunrise. Me and my mom picked him up. He lived near McClintock, where we went. In the car, Al said to my mom, he had a full scholarship in musical theater to a historical black college of his choice. We got to campus. Senior Sunrise is an event when all the seniors get together and meet on Mouth of Board. We ate donuts and watched the sunrise for the last time. Al and I talked over the phone in our Snapchat. He was in my economics class and he was sat next to me. And then the next day, he was not there. I thought he was in the class, but no, 
my, my other was in the dance room and it told me that those women that I died. I was in shock and I started to cry. We hugged. The principal and the assistant principal were going class to class and taking the news. He died October 25th in a one-way car crash late Monday night. The next day at school, everyone was quiet. Everyone was sad. My theater class did this, and we always say something nice to everyone. So I did my list, and I did my number out. I was crying. My friend I and I walked into the theater room, and he was really sad. He knew Al. So I went to him, and we hugged and cried into each other's arms. The next four months of high school were really sad and lonely on campus without Al. I miss his personality. When I get sad about Al, I listen to the history soundtrack. In the playlist, I called, I miss Al. And I think of him when I hear it. That change was hard. In 2022, we had eight memorials of him. They let the sky with lanterns and our yellow. Our color was yellow. And I sang and danced to a song, You Are My Sunshine. A lot of crying. Everyone was really sad that night. And a lot of people showed up, like old high school friends and family. And the class of 2022 graduation, they mentioned his name. We are so sad that our dear friends are gone. Now I'm looking at your friends and out for both that. So we want to thank Sophie for sharing that story. And I, I think, you know, I'm really struck in that story by how important Sophie's community was in in processing the grief, the loss of, of her friend Al. You know, she talks about being with her friends in, in school and, and how that was the way in which she processed her grief. And, and it's the way that she finds out about the loss in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So you sort of get the whole process from beginning to end. You know, she also talks about how it, it's affecting her months later mm-hmm. when may, maybe other peers have have sort of moved on from that grief experience and she's feeling it and feeling it deeply months later. And that can be a really lonely experience, I think, especially for a young person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you to, to both Sophie and Taylor for sharing these stories that you know, can feel quite vulnerable to, to share stories of loss. We really appreciate them both doing that today. In her story, Sophie mentioned singing a song as a tribute to Al, and she did record that song with us when she shared her story. So we're going to play that clip now. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Before we end, I do want to thank our contributors, Sophie and Taylor, our associate producer, Connor Smenner, and our Telling It Our Way advisory board members, Jarita Fox, Quinn Thomas, and Gavin Daly. Special thanks to WGTE and our producer, Chris Pfeiffer. To access transcripts for this show and any other show notes, please visit wgte.org slash our way. I'm Allie Day. And I'm Becca Monsleone, and you've been listening to Telling It Our Way. WGTE. Voices around us.
WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.